listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. lead a single mom group on Wednesday nights. Today I'll be reading 2 Peter 3, verse 14 through 18. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Thanksgiving week, y'all. Are you excited? Yeah? Are you excited about to spread on Thursday? I am. I, I'm, I'm excited about Thursday coming. So on the count of three, I want to know what your favorite that you're looking forward to on the table at Thanksgiving is. I want you to say it on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Dressing. See, mine too. That's exactly. <laughs> but more, more seriously, uh, you look around, you go, where is everybody? It's Thanksgiving week. They're, they've got a week off from school and they've got to jump on the travels. And, and that's, uh, we, we just want to pray that uh, everyone will have a safe week. But I'm just curious, what are some of the things that you are thankful for? in this Thanksgiving season. Just, you know, where, where are you at? Just probably just say it loud enough where we can hear it. What are some of the things you're thankful for? Family. family. Yeah, thankful for family. What else are you thankful for? Grandkids. Grandkids. Specific family. Specifically. Grand, what else are we thankful for? Oh, that's good, Candy. Christian heritage. Yeah, that's, uh, we, we, we need to make sure that we don't, under our watch, allow that heritage to dwindle. Amen. What else? What's that? Waking up on the right side of the dirt. Man, just don't get more, more brass tacks than that, does it, Kim? That's a, you know what? Amen. Okay. Yeah, we're alive today. What else? Anything? Nope. nope. Oh, health. Good. I thought you said nope. <laughs> okay. Health. No, that's, hey, we, you know, we love that. And, you know, I am thankful for you. Uh, you, you guys are just a delight. It's just, it's fun being able to do ministry together with you guys, and, uh, and I'm just looking forward to uh, just a, a, a whole lot more of it until Christ returns. Interestingly enough, that's what we've been learning in Second Peter, about how we are to be thinking and conducting ourselves in the light of the fact that Jesus is coming back. Is He not? He's coming back. He said He was. He's going to. Let me just give you a little quick overview because today is the last day we will sit at the feet of Peter. We're going to hear from him for the last time today and then we'll look into something else next week. But as we've looked at this little letter of Peter, this 
if, if we go along with, with the other scholars that have, have assumed that this is right before Peter's uh, giving his life through martyrdom at the hands of Nero, the emperor, this might have very well been the last thing that he wrote to the churches that he was familiar with. Chapter number 1, Peter reminds us that God has provided all believers with everything they need for life and godliness. But it's up to us to put those things to work. We've got to add to our faith virtue and, and goodness and uh, godliness and, and those things that he laid out. We've, we've got to, I've used this illustration for the last few weeks at the mission. I said, you know, it's kind of like a, a daddy packing his bag for his kids going off to camp. Or a mama, whoever does that, to put all the clothes in the bag, the toothpaste, the toothbrush, the, the deodorant, the shampoo, the towel, the swimsuit, clean pairs of underwear, amen, and put it all in the bag and you send it off with your kid and you go, you've got everything you need for a fun and successful week at camp. But you know, it, the bag goes out the door, you know whose responsibility is to put those things to work. The kid, and, and, and you've been there, kid comes Back from camp, dressed interestingly enough, just like they left for camp, right? And you go through the bag and all those clothes are still in there. Why? Because they didn't put them to work. So God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. But we've got to reach in the bag and we've got to take those things out. We've got to put them to practice. In chapter number two, he says, and, and as you're living this life, putting these things to practice, living out your calling, I want you to be aware of something. And that's the false teachers, that are going to arise just like the false prophets arose in the Old Testament. False teachers are going to arise and they're going to twist the truth. They're going to twist the scriptures. You need to be able to mark them, recognize them by their lifestyle, recognize them by their greed, recognize how that they say one thing and do another, recognize them and then reject their teaching. You need to turn away from them because they won't lead you anywhere but astray. And then chapter number three, Peter says, and, and as a, a kind of a final last ditch effort, he says, Jesus's return is certain. He's coming back just like he said he would. And that should motivate Christians to live faithfully and obediently. And then he concludes, in conclusion, if you've ever Given a speech, you've probably said those words. Well, in conclusion, I don't say those words on Sunday because y'all know that I don't give myself enough time to say in conclusion. But Peter writing this letter says, Therefore, therefore, beloved, these are followers of Jesus that, that he loves with all his heart. These are people that he's invested in. These are folks that, that he could probably name them by name, many of them, in the many different churches spread out. He says, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these. Now, it could be that Peter was saying, since you're waiting for all of these things that I've said, but it's probably more likely that Peter's referring, since you are waiting for these things that I've just mentioned, what are those? Those are the day of the Lord. That are gonna, that's going to come and, and bring about the conclusion of all that God has said that he would do and all that, that he has promised through that plan of redemption. And then ultimately, Christians are waiting for the new heaven and the new earth. Since you're waiting on these things, they're certain. They've not happened yet, but they're going to happen. I want you to do four things. He gives us four 
commands, in conclusion, wrapping this thing up to people who are living in perilous times, very likely facing persecution at that time, and if not at that time, certainly they would be soon facing persecution themselves. He gives these final orders. These final four commands, three unique and then one that's going to wrap them all up. If we just focus our attention on that last one, we will accomplish the other three, but we don't want to miss the other three because they are equally as important. Command number one, he says, continuing in verse 14, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Be diligent. He gives us a command for keeping on, keeping on, keeping on. This word diligence means to be especially conscientious in discharging an obligation. You've been given something to do, and this is being very careful that I get those things done that I'm obligated to do. It's it's a word that means being zealous or being eager to accomplish a task, uh, taking great pains to accomplish what needs to be done, making every effort. It means pouring everything you have into this task that is set before you. And what is it said that, that, that we are to put ourselves to, to diligence? To be found by Him who is Him. He's talking about Christ. To be found by Christ. Now, don't think for a second that being found by Christ means that Christ is not currently aware of what's going on in your life. That's not what Peter's saying. He's not saying that that Jesus is off at work. And you know what time Jesus gets off at work. You know you had stuff to do at home before Jesus gets home from work. And you try to get everything done before Jesus comes. Because I know that's how we do with our parents, right? You know, they're coming home. And they said, do these things, and we, we, you know, we wait till the very last minute to try to get it all done. That's not what Peter's saying. Jesus is fully and completely aware of all that we are, are doing or not doing or accomplishing or not accomplishing. What he's saying is, when Jesus returns, it's going to be a surprise to you. It's going to be a surprise to me. When he comes, we need to be diligent that we are to be found by him engaged in the activity that he's called us to be engaged with so that we are not embarrassed by what he finds us doing at that time. He says you need to be diligent to be without spot or blemish. Now last week we talked about uh, living our lives focused on holiness and godliness. All he's doing is just repeating that same concept. And you say, well, we talked about that last week. Okay, well, let me just ask you a question. Were you more characterized by holiness this week than you were the week before? If the honest answer is, well, I don't don't think so, well, then you see the point. We need to be reminded over and over again that it is our responsibility to put to work what God has given us in order to live lives of holiness. See. God doesn't expect me to be perfect, does he? Well, no, God doesn't expect you to be perfect because you're not going to be perfect. But you know what he expects out of us? To, to, to make every effort. 
Let's try our heart. Let's don't say, well, I'm not going to be perfect, so I'm just going to kick back and I'm just going to kind of skid around. No, we are to make every effort to be without spot or blemish. That's a contrast to what he said about the false teachers over in chapter 2, verse 13. He said that the false teachers are blots and blemishes. He says that we have the truth and we're to be exercising that truth. Not just knowing it, but putting it to practice so that we can be without spot and blemish. When the blemishes come along, when we trip up and mess up and we have that bad attitude or we say that thing we wish we could take back or we do that thing that we have just been struggling with for years and ah, there it was again. We know that we have forgiveness with confession and repentance, if we confess our sin, He's faithful and, and delighted to forgive us. But, but we've got to even take that initiative of confession. So Peter, someone who's going through a, a great time of difficulty, looking at very likely being martyred, and who in the world knows how Nero's going to want to put him to death? He says, let's be diligent. Let's be diligent to be blameless, to be without spot, without blemish. And he says, at peace. Well, it it seems as though what Peter's referring to with this peace is at peace with the turmoil that we are facing in this world. If, If we are saved by grace through faith, Paul has told us, and and we know in just a few seconds that that, that Peter is a reader of Paul's letters. We know that Paul writes about us being at peace with God because of His great grace through salvation. When we come to know Jesus as our Savior, by faith in His death and resurrection alone, we are reconciled to God by God. We are at peace with God with God. And that won't ever change. We will remain at peace with God. So it seems as though what Peter may be referring to is that when Jesus returns, we have every expectation that life is going to be incredibly difficult for believers. We have to presume upon that. If you look around at your world right now, you'll say that, wow, we seem to be spiraling rather rapidly towards Christianity being the receiving of persecution. It, it seems as though we are looking at it right in the face. That persecution for just ordinary, average followers of Jesus, just like you and me, that following Jesus is about to become very difficult. And I heard one fellow on the radio say, not because we're following Jesus, but because our following Jesus does not look like the Jesus the world expects. The Jesus the world expects is a Jesus that loves everyone and proves it by accepting everything that everyone does. And that's not how Jesus loves at all. If you think about the woman caught in adultery in the Gospels, he loved that woman who was exploited by the leaders who brought her to Jesus and threw her down and said, we're supposed to stone her, aren't we? And Jesus says, if you're without sin, pick up the first stone. Jesus was demonstrating his great love for her. And he was highlighting their great sin of judgment. But what did Jesus also say to the lady as she was 
leaving that place, following those that had also walked away, he said, now go and sin no more. See, Jesus wasn't saying, I'm cool with your sin. Jesus was saying, oh yeah, she's a sinner, and so are y'all, and I love y'all just like I love her, and we need to make sure that we're not putting on Jesus more or less than we should. So, what are we to do? We're to make every effort. We're to be diligent. We're to be eager. We're to be focused on putting to practice what God has called us to do and to be. To be without spot and blemish. Pursuing personal holiness. When we do, we can walk in peace regardless of what's going on around us. Because we know Christ is in control. We, we, we know that ultimately we're persecuted because so was He. And we can just wait in confidence and certainty on the return of our Savior. Which leads to the second command that He gives, second imperative. He says in verse 15, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Now He's got more to say in this verse and in verse number 16. We'll get to it in a second. But here's what he's saying. When he says to count something, he says to consider it, to regard it, to think about the patience of the Lord correctly. Well, how do I think about the patience of the Lord? Well, first of all, i got to know what he's talking about. What is the patience of the Lord? Well, right across the page, if you're holding a Bible, you'll probably see that, uh, that over in chapter number 3, verse number 9, it said that the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise but is patient toward us. He's talking about when Jesus was coming back and that the false teachers were saying, well, he's not come back yet, so he must not be coming. You must be wrong. And Peter's like, oh, no, no, you don't understand. Just because Jesus hasn't come yet doesn't mean he's not coming. Oh, he's coming. He's coming just in time, right on time. And we can count on that. And he says we need to look at the patience of God Correctly, we need to look at the time that is elapsing between his ascension, promise to return, and his physical return. Say, well, why hasn't he come back yet? He's already said, because he desires people to repent so that they can be saved. He's not desiring that people spend eternity apart from him in a place that was never designed for them, but rather for our enemy, the, the devil and his angels. He's not interested, and he's not desirous that human beings, his creation that bears his image, spend eternity separated from him in a place called hell. That's not God's desire. And so he's patient. He tarries his return so that men and women, boys and girls, might repent. Peter says what you need to do while we are, yes, looking forward to his return, while we are, yes, eager about his coming back and establishing the new heaven and new earth, we need to see this time as salvation. We need to see this time as opportunity to keep doing what we've been called to do. You hate it when you watch sports and there's time left on the clock and teams just give up. You hate to watch that. You know, you, you, and I get it, last seconds and you're down by 30. But even at that, you hate seeing folks 
Just quit. There's still time on the clock. And how many times have you watched an event or a race or something and, and it just be, you know, you just there's no way that they have a chance. There's no way that they got a shot. And then all of a sudden you turn around and when the score was 28 to 3, the next thing you know, Tom Brady comes back and leads his team over your team. It's impossible. How's it going to happen? It was time on the clock. He got into there and said, hey, look, we're going to go out there. We're going to play our game. Right? Well, Peter obviously is not talking about the Falcons' debacle of the Super Bowl. <laughs> but what he is saying is you need to look. Okay, every morning you need to get up. Sure. You're probably thinking, man, I wish Jesus had already come back. And you know what? That's fair. And, and, and I think that when, hey, I, I wish like, when we get done for today, we're going to go eat lunch. I, I wish we were going from here to the Thanksgiving meal. I just do because I like what's that, right? I, there's nothing wrong with looking forward to that. But there's four or five days before that, right? And so when we, when we go out of here, we got stuff we got to do in, in, in anticipation of that. And while we know when the Thanksgiving meal is coming, we don't know when Christ is returning. So we need to see it. He goes, and you're going to have to decide to see it as opportunity. I wrote down two types of opportunity. The first I've already sort of laid out. It's a great commission reminder. It's reminding us that there's still time and we have gospel work to do. But you know, there's also time on the clock for prodigal children to come back home. As we think about those that have walked away, maybe even you're one that's walked away and, and, and you say, well, I'm here today. Yeah, but you, you kind of know that you're here, but you're not where you were with Christ at a point in your life. And you go, eh, I just, I wish it could be like it was. Well, it's not ever going to be like it was, but it can be like it could be walking with Jesus. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus takes what was between the way it was and now, and he refashions that by his grace to be a part of your story of his continued pull of redemption in your life, there's still time for the prodigal kids to come back home. If it's not you, then it's the one that you are familiar with and love so dearly and, and, and have prayed for and they've disappointed you. And I think Peter's saying... There's still time. Stay active. Keep reminding them of the truths that are real for them if they will put it to work. We're going to spend time with, with family at Thanksgiving, right? Are there folks that are in your family that are away from God? I'm not saying that we need to go take the Bible with us and before we sit down and eat, we whop them across the head with. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying stay engaged. Stay on point. Count this time as opportunity to continue doing what we've been called to do. He goes on in this verse, verse number 15. He says, count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given to him. So what's that say? That says Peter's reading Paul's letters. Peter has been exposed to Paul's writing. 
And he's like, I'm, I'm telling you to, to, to use the time wisely, to redeem the time, and to, to press on and see it as an opportunity for the salvation of others who have not yet come to faith. It's just like what Paul writes to you. As he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters. And by the way, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Don't you love that Peter said, you ever tried to reap? Sit down and read the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. Okay? Now, Romans 12 through the end, very practical, very applicable, a lot of application there. Romans chapter 1 through 11, you'll get in there and, and, and the concept will get so big, but it, you'll be upside down. My daddy talks about how the, that, that pilots who aren't familiar with the instruments in the airplane, if they get into the clouds where they can't see around them, that given enough time, they can actually be inverted upside down, even in a plummet and have no idea what's happening because their sense of direction is gone in the clouds. That's how you'll be in reading Romans 1 through 11. Without some help, you know, without, without a good commentary or something to help guide you and outline, like, where did you go, Paul? You just turned right, and I wasn't ready for it. Peter's saying the same things. Like, Paul writes about these things, and boy, that guy can write. That man can confuse me. But that doesn't mean that we stop. That just means that, hey, there are some things that are hard to understand. And because they're hard to understand, he says that there will be those who are ignorant and unstable who will twist their own destruction, Paul's words, as they do the other scriptures. Now, I'll tell you the nugget before I tell you the point. The nugget is, is that Peter just identified Paul's contemporary letters on the same plane as Scripture. And you go, what's the big deal? The big deal is there's a great argument out there by the world as to whether or not Christians should see the New Testament as inspired. Listen, the Holy Spirit is causing Peter to show us that one of his contemporaries who was writing was adding to the canon of Scripture. What Paul was writing in his wisdom was to be seen and heard and wrestled with thoroughly but seen as God's words for us. It's very important. But what was the point he was making? The point he was making is, what I'm telling you about, about perspective and peace Paul's written about, and a lot of it's confusing, and some will take Paul's confusing words and twist them to their own destruction. They're ignorant. Now, maybe they weren't untaught. Maybe, maybe it is that they weren't people who didn't have education, but that's a word he used. Like people who had never been taught how to do anything, trying to do something with something they didn't even know what to do with. And they're unstable in their handling, and they'll twist. This word twist, it kind of has this idea of torture. Like it's a word that, that, that through the Greek comes out and can be used to refer to the rack that instrument of torture where they put you on the rack and then they twist you and turn you and your, your, your uh, torturer will try to get information out of you. It's this word of these people will wrench God's word and twist it until it says what they want it to say. There's so much of that going on right now. 
the, 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 the world is putting so much pressure on Christians. And we're trying to acquiesce to their desires. We're trying to bend toward them. So we're saying, well, maybe God's Word doesn't say that this is contrary to His. Well, maybe what, what we've always been taught is not exactly what God's Word said. And they're twisting it and they're turning it. And listen, you got to be aware of those folks that are walking around with a Bible telling you things that in your heart you know are not right. He says that's what they'll do. In that idea, he moves to his third command. Be diligent, uh, have the right perspective, and then exercise discernment. On this idea of, of, of them twisting, he says in verse 17, that you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care. It means look out for, be on guard against, avoid, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. He says, always be on guard for those that will lead you into error. Now, will false teachers formally lead you into error? Sure they will. They'll stand up very publicly or in their book, in their writing, and they will, in a very formal, very matter-of-fact way, lead you into error. I refer you back to chapter number 2. Understand what to look for. Understand what to listen for so that we can be aware of these that are teaching false doctrine. We've got to stay away from them. Because if we don't, we're going to be carried away with their teaching and we're going to lose our own stable footing. But there's another type of error that comes in a little less blatant. And that is the unbiblical opinions of those around us who speak into us. They say things like this. Well, God wouldn't want you to be unhappy. And so therefore, and they go ahead and tell you what they think you should do, even though it's contrary to God's Word, they're saying, well, but you know, but God wouldn't, He would never want you to be unhappy. So to tell you no to this would not be fair, would not be loving when it is entirely against God's Word. Or maybe God wouldn't want you to be alone. Or maybe God wouldn't want you to be miserable, so you should fill in the blank. Or maybe it's a statement like, well, you know, you deserve, and you fill in the blank. And, and you know what? They end up being very unbiblical advice. And they're folks that you trust. They're folks that you've admired. They're people that are successful. Maybe they're even people who claim the name of Christ and, 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 and try to follow God's Word, but they're giving you very unbiblical advice. I'm, I'm finally reading, Bill, now y'all did the, the class on uh, don't let the enemy have a seat at your table. You know, I'm finally doing it. And, and, and so the writer talks about he was upset and angry. And so he fired off an angry text to a friend who he was expecting to send back a very affirmative text on his anger about this issue. I'm so mad about this and I think this. And, and he sent it off and he's waiting on his buddy to basically send him back a high five. Well, I know how you feel, man. You ought to be mad about that. And, and what the fellow came back to him was, was very biblical, very spiritual in that I think you're letting the enemy sit down at your table the author said 
wasn't at all what I wanted to hear. That was what I needed to hear. But you know who they are, that you fire off those messages and they come back to you. Oh, yeah, they're horrible, ugly, nasty people. You, sh- you don't deserve you. God wouldn't want you. To- and you know what they're doing? They're feeding you error. Peter says, you've got to take care. While we're waiting on Jesus and, and things get tough and you got questions and, and, and you don't know what to do and you're asking folks and they're saying, well, I, here's what I think. If it were me, I'd just kind of go around. No, no, no. you got to take care who you're listening to. And if they're not communicating God's word to you, you got to reject it. Just like you do the former, the formal false teachers of chapter 2, you got to reject those lawless people, those unbiblical advice or you're going to lose your own stability. When we embrace error, we lose our stable footing. You remember the putting on the armor of God? Your feet shod with the gospel that brings what? Pete. You see how it all works together? He says when you start listening to the wrong advice, you step out of your cleated boots, and now you're susceptible to the slippery ground. You fall back, or you backslide. He says you got to take care. you got to be diligent. you got to have good perspective, but you've got to exercise discernment. And then lastly, this is the one that just kind of ties them all up together. He says this, but grow. All these other things you need to be aware of, look out for, have the right. But here's what I want you to say. Just, just grow. Just grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You ever planted something? You put it in the ground, you walk out the next day and nothing's come up. It's just ground, you know, it's just down in there. You know how pointless it would be for you to go over and stick your head over the edge of the flower garden or the the vegetable garden and go, grow! Come on, grow for crying out. You know, you're just like, hey, it's like that with a baby. You know, they're sitting there trying to figure out what to do with the mush in front of them. Like, eat! Come on! They don't, they got to... God's not asking you to do something that you don't know how to do. God's not asking you to do something that you, that's out of your control. You know what he's saying? He's saying, set your sights on Jesus and grow in your imitation of him. Grow in your trust in him. Grow in your, in your putting aside all other influences that aren't pointing to him. Grow. Get up and get to work on following Christ in every area of your life. Here he just identifies in the areas of grace and knowledge, consistently, obediently, put God's Word to work. You say, well, I don't know all of God's Word, but what do you know? Put that part to work. You know, and once you've mastered that, just keep adding things that, you know, because we're not ever going to run out of opportunities to, to turn ourselves and bend ourselves toward Christ. And as we do, you know what happens within us? The Holy Spirit then empowers us to actually be transformed. You're not going to transform your life. You're not going to become more like Christ on your own effort. But when you turn toward Him and move in that direction, the Holy Spirit then jumps into the driver's seat and accomplishes His work because of your 
obedience. The grace of Jesus bends us towards those He desires to love through us. Let me say that again. The grace of Jesus, when it begins to take action, and it bends us towards those individuals who Jesus wants to love through us. You say, that's going to take a lot of grace. He's got a lot of grace. But when I walk in that, when I press in that direction, that's how he will bend me because that's those to whom Jesus bent. The knowledge of Jesus equips us to appropriately discern, question, and resist what needs to be resisted. If I got the grace of Christ, I'm going to bend toward those that he wants me to bend toward. If I got the knowledge of Christ, I'm going to be able to be aware of those things I need to be aware of. I'm going to be able to resist those things I need to resist. If I'm pressing toward Him, the Holy Spirit's going to fuel it all and accomplish it, and transformation takes place. Chuck Swindoll, in his book, his commentary on this, gave like a little, uh, uh, like a little graph on this. Here's what he said. He, he had two columns, grace and knowledge. Here's what he says. He says, grace keeps you tolerant and loving, but knowledge keeps you strong and confident. Tolerant and loving, strong and confident. He says, grace gives you mercy and compassion. Knowledge gives you discernment to know how to exercise that grace, or how to exercise that mercy and compassion. Grace helps you to believe and accept. Keeps me from being cynical all the time. But knowledge helps me question and critique what needs to be questioned and critiqued. Grace results in vulnerability. Me to be real and open and vulnerable to others. Knowledge results in stability. When you're working to, I probably just described when the husband and the wife, because one of y'all are grace-filled and the other one's knowledge-filled or vice versa. I don't know what it is. Yeah, that's, that's great, and maybe it works in your home, but, but God says, I, I, I want grace and knowledge out of all of you. Not, 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 don't just count on the grace folks to be gracious. I want you to be gracious. Don't just count on the knowledge folks to ask all the questions. You just believe everything. No, I want you to be understanding, knowledgeable of Christ. You've got to grow. You've got to turn. And when we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, well... We will grow. We will have discernment. We will keep the right perspective about the time we got left, and we'll be diligent to pursue personal holiness. While we wait on Christ to return, and He's coming back, and we want to be found doing exactly what He's called us to do and to be. Here's some questions. Here's some some responses. Number one. Is your life currently marked? If you're, let me back up. This is a response for followers of Jesus, okay? If you're not a follower of Jesus, the response is this. Trust Jesus as your Savior. Re- repent of your sin. Acknowledge the fact that you are broken without repair and that you need Jesus to forgive you and to, to restore you, and that's only possible through His own death and resurrection that's been made available to us and can be received by faith and by faith alone. If you've never trusted Jesus, that's your response. But if you're a follower of Jesus, the question is, 
Is your life currently marked by integrity? Like what folks see, is that what really is? Is your life marked by integrity? Because today would be a great day to say, Lord, I'm, I'm not who they think I am. I need to confess that as sin. I need to repent of that. I need to move in a, in a, in a different direction. Because I know you've called me to a life of spotlessness and blamelessness. Is your life currently marked by peace? Are you all twisted up about things going on in our world right now? Am I like, are, are, you, are you about to go insane over elections and neighborhood stuff and stock markets and all that kind of stuff? Like, is your life in turmoil? Well, chances are great that, that you're not really diligently pursuing a life that represents Christ and Christ alone. So today, today would be a great day to say, God, I'm just not at peace. I know I'm at peace with you, you know, positionally, but practically I'm a mess. I, I want your peace. I need your peace. Show me what is distracting me so I can call it what it is. And, and, and walk in confidence as I wait your return. Question two. How much do you consider sharing the gospel during a normal day? Like we got 24 hours a day. How, like how often does that come to mind? And listen, I'm not trying to beat you up. Because here's what I know. We're so busy. We're so reconditioned in the West. In America specifically. We've just got so many things we've got to do. The gospel's not even on the, on the list unless we've got an event going on that's about the gospel. And then we throw it in. Listen, here's what we got to do. We, we've just got to confess that as a, as a distraction in our life. Say, God, listen, I, I realize that my primary purpose for being here in this world right now is about reflecting the truth that you've left to be believed I gotta think about that. I gotta remember that so that the gospel is a part of every aspect of my life. Question three Who's speaking into you right now who does not consistently promote what God says over all else? You know, we've got them, don't you? We've all got them. Folks in our life that we love, and, and unfortunately, they've got too much influence in our ear. Because if we evaluate their advice most of the time, it's not what God says. And we know that. Even though we like what they say, we know it's not what we need to hear. And I'm not saying that you've got to kick them out of your life, but I do think we've got to, to intentionally mark them in our hearts as unworthy to give advice. At least advice to be taken to heart. And even push back. When we, when we share things with them, they say, well, I, th I think this is what you ought to do or think. You say, well, no, 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 that, that, that's, that's so contrary to God's word. Well, I appreciate you loving me, but that, that's not any help to me. Because God's, that, that's, that's not what I need to hear. Maybe they'll learn, or maybe, maybe they'll be instructed. But who are they? Mark them so that we can begin to discern. Bring them to the Lord. Who, who do I need to be listening to, Lord? Who gives me good, solid, sound Biblical advice. 
And then lastly, it's just simple. Are you actively seeking to grow as a disciple of Jesus? Like in your life, are you, are you, are you pursuing Him in grace and knowledge? Are, are, you, are you actively wanting to imitate and represent Jesus? Because today would be a great day to say, you know what, Lord? That's what I want. I, I've just gotten lazy or I've never thought about that. And I need to ask somebody, how do I, how do, I do that? Or I need to pick up the baton. Lord, I've, I've just kind of laid it over here. It's gotten dusty. But I'm going to pick this up knowing that God the Holy Spirit is going to move within me and, and press me forward if I'll just get up and take a step. However God's leading in you today, respond to Him. It ain't to me, but it's only to Him. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, don't go home today without Him. He loves you. It's about trusting Him by faith, laying your yes down with Him so that you might be brought into the family and begin to put all these things to work. God's packed your bag. All you got to do is reach in there and put the things to work that He's given us. Amen? Let's stand together. We've got folks that are moving over that are going to be ready to pray with you while I'm praying. If you bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody's looking around. You got a need, and you say, I just need to get over there and pray with these folks. Mike and Tammy would love to be able to walk with you in whatever you're wrestling with. Once we're done, they'll stay for a few minutes. If you need us to pray with you, that's what we want. If I need to come over and pray with you, we want to be a help to you. Christian, you can do business with God right there. What's He telling you? Be obedient, move toward Him. Jesus is coming. He's not here yet, so we've got work to do by His grace. Father, we look forward to the opportunities that we have in front of us with family, with friends, holidays and celebrations, and we're thankful for those. We're thankful for all of those things that were mentioned by your people. There's so many more that we could add to that list of things that we're thankful for. But, but today, we just want to thank you for your long-suffering, your patience with us, your, your love for us. Whereas your word cuts deep to our bone and beyond. It cuts that way from a heart of love. You're pulling us toward yourself. Wanting to break away that that does not reflect you well. And replace it with that that does. I pray that you'll cause your people to hear your word and respond obediently. We look forward to the opportunities we have the rest of this day and, and every day we have left until Christ returns. We believe He's coming. We want to be doing what He's called us to do when He comes. And I pray that you'll give us those opportunities and help us to see Him. Help us to look for Him this week. We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said...